does have it all. All of our pre-owned vehicles are Hubler Q certified, which include a 128-point vehicle inspection, a free Carfax vehicle history report, and two warranties. A two-year, 100,000-mile powertrain warranty and a 30-day, 1,000-mile comprehensive warranty. Visit any of our 13 locations today or click drivehubler.com. This is the Fan Midday Show, top of the hour in the drivehuber.com studios. Along with Scott Agnes, I am Jimmy Cook, Eddie Garrison guiding us through the afternoon. Thanks so much for joining us. We shifted our conversation around from Pacers to Colts. Now we'll go back to Pacers as well as big picture NBA with our next guest, Dan Purcell. Nice enough to take some time with us, former front office executive with the New Orleans Pelicans and current director of scouting for the Sports Business Classroom. Dan, always good to hear from you. How are you doing on a beautiful Wednesday? At least it's beautiful here. Is it beautiful where you are? That's a better question. <laughs> Absolutely. It is. Jimmy, how are you? It's been too long, man. Doing great. I'm glad to have you on. I know that you were heavily engaged as well with last night's play-in game games rather with the Heat and the Hawks and the Timberwolves and the Lakers. I would like to start there with you and I want to start first with a little local flavor for us, albeit a a local flavor of distant past. Losing effort for him, but Mike Conley basically turning back the clock last night for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Uh, The only, I guess, positive uh, outside of that trade that they made with Utah kind of shining bright last night at uh, Crypto.com, aka Staples, last night. For you, when you look at players that are able to kind of have the resurgence in moments like that, you look at Conley's career arc, what stands out to you the most about and his ability to still have a night like he did last night, albeit in a losing effort to the Lakers? I think he's just Mr. Reliable. If you remember him with Memphis, he was always that guy they were looking to to take take the last shot. He was always the guy that, that was steadying the ship, and he's a big game player. That's That's who he is. And I think that what it showed last night, he's still got some left in the tank. He's 35, had a lot of injury issues. But when it comes to, uh, you know, if you want to win a basketball game, he's a great guy to have on that team. And, you know, I, I, I never like looking in the past, you know, in the, near, in the near past, but, you know, he's a much better fit for them than, than D'Angelo Russell was. And I think that was on full display last night. Talking with Dan Purcell here. I'm curious your your belief in this play-in tournament. I'm one that much rather have the regular season extended rather than this. And also, why so much should be put into one or two games here at the end of the season versus a full 82-game schedule and, and having those teams given that amount of time to qualify like in old times to the playoffs? Yeah, I, I, I actually enjoy the plan. I think it gives a little more spotlight to the league, and anything that, that you can put spotlight on and get eyes on is probably going to be a better product as long as it's more competitive, right? And I think that's the biggest thing when it comes to the play. And I, I, get, I get where people go with the, you know, if you want to expand the regular season and whatnot, but I think this plan has been really successful in terms of it's giving that upset mentality, that, that March Madness feel to the NBA that it lacks a lot of the times. And we all know how successful March Madness is with the single elimination games and whatnot. And I, I actually think it's a really good um, it's a really good extra to the playoffs. Dan, to that same end, I'm constantly getting into either debates or just friendly conversations with basketball fans that have that love for March Madness, but then they turn over to the NBA and they see it's tough in this market right now when they see the Pacers and on a regular basis, the offense is, you know, just flavorful and very exciting, but the defense leaves a lot to leave desired. They're giving up, you know, 
almost an average of 130 points over the final month of the season uh, here in, you know, extending March to April. When you look at the difference, the jarring difference between the regular season and the leap to the intensity you see in the playoffs, as you've seen the adjustments the league has made, is that ever getting fixed or is it more the just kind of acceptance by the league that there's just going to be nights where either plays are being taken off or guys are managing their bodies. Is there a solution there in your mind or have they done all they can? I think as of right now, with the way the rules stand and the way that they put in play in tournaments and whatnot, you know, and of course with the new CBA, they're going to have in-season tournaments as well. So they're going to try to curtail that as well, even more. Um, You know, it's, 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 we're just kind of at a crossroads in, in the culmination of the last 10 years of, you know, load management and, you know, finding different ways to preserve your key players. And, you know, the last thing you ever want is for your best player to get injured and he's out for the season and you're sitting there like the, you know, like the uh, San Antonio Spurs were with with uh, David Robinson, you know. He, I think he tore his ACL and he was out. I think that was 1999. And they were lucky enough to get Tim Duncan, but that's not always the case. So, you know, it's it's a tough it's it's a really gray area, but I do like how the league has pushed this and pushed this extra, um, you know, the extra games in there, but also how they've leveled out the bottoming of the draft as well. So I think the league has done a really good job with it. It's just a matter of we'll see how it works out. Really, we need more data, probably two to three more years of it before we really see is it helping or is it hurting. Dan, what are some storylines that you're most intrigued with or, or guys you're fascinated to see on this bigger stage now as the playoffs begin this upcoming weekend? You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge believer. I, I hate betting against the Golden State Warriors, right? And Andrew Wiggins coming back is going to be huge for them. It sets, it sets a different level for them defensively. You know, and if they do end up, and they have a very favorable field ahead of them, not saying that Sacramento is a walkover by any means, or if they get into the second round versus Memphis or the Lakers, that that's going to be a walkthrough at all. That's not, that's not it. It's just their path has gotten so clear, and they've added such a key piece to their team moving forward. I think that's the key to this whole playoffs will be Andrew Wiggins, at least out in the West. And in the East, is, it, is Milwaukee deep enough? You know, they, they really work on – those story that that storyline of you know Milwaukee's good they have the best record now they have home court advantage can they beat Boston in a seven game series I mean that's what I'm looking at um, so the key for the the two key storylines I'm looking back looking on is Andrew Wiggins obviously returning and then can Milwaukee get over that Boston hump because Boston looks really really good Dan. I kind of was drinking a little bit of Kool-Aid last week as well. I'm not trying to say that you were, but about, oh, 12 hours before last night's at times atrocious playing game between the Lakers and the Timberwolves, you had tweeted out that you wouldn't be surprised if you could see Grizz and Lakers going seven games. And again, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm not even saying like that, that yeah. that was an insane thought because a lot of people felt that way. I thought maybe it could get pushed there as well. And then I look last night and – I know they're going to get five days off or whatever it is to rest, but both those teams, LA and Minnesota looked absolutely dead in the middle portions of that fourth quarter into overtime. Is it still a compelling series to you? And is it something that is extended or do you think this is a a gentleman's sweep perhaps for the Grizzlies? No, I I think this is going to be quite, I think this series is lining up to be one of the best of the playoffs. Now that's in my estimation. And my main thoughts for that are, the front line of the Grizzlies has been so decimated, right? 
And you're now going up against arguably the greatest player ever. You have a top 75 player ever. And they're starting to really mesh now that the bench for the Lakers has really pushed through. I mean, they're 18, well, they're 19 and 8 now since the trade deadline. So they're, I think they're first in differential, from what I remember and whatnot. It's, it's in point differential. It's yeah. like these guys, even though they, it didn't look great last night, I'll be honest with you, it did not look great. And I am not on the Lakers bandwagon saying right. that they're this great team or anything. But I do think with the issues Memphis has been having, I'm not sure that that front court depth of theirs is going to be there. And, and Brandon Clark's a huge part of that. And they've been playing without him, and they've been getting by. But now you lose Steven Adams on top of it. And to me, it's going to be really, really hard to match up with Anthony Davis. And if they go small, I'm not sure, I'm not sure who's guarding who. I'm not sure who's, where are the matchups that, other than John Morant, where is Memphis winning matchups? Because in, in the playoffs, games slow down. Possessions are much more valuable, and you have to win your individual matchups, right? The guy who's guarding you, you have to make a, be either may, be the playmaker or you have to be the scorer. So it's going to be very interesting to see how Memphis adapts to the Lakers and their size and their strength and their skill, and now their depth. I'm talking with Dan Purcell, Sports Business Classroom, former NBA exec, and you're exactly right, Dan. One of the first things I go to is how team has been playing, and secondly, who has the best roster? Who, you know, if you took combine the rosters, who has the best players among those? Because talent wins out, and obviously health matters with this team. But it's setting up. You teased at the beginning how much you like the Warriors, and assuming Wiggins is back and able to play at his level again, the fact that they don't have to face the Nuggets or the Suns until huge. potentially that Western Conference Finals is huge. How about how about they also don't have to face a healthy Clippers team? Let's not forget if the Clippers are at full strength, they are a they're yeah. a contender to win the whole thing, right? So they they've gone by the four teams really. They don't have to play the four any of those four teams until the Western Conference Finals, and by that time, that's three weeks from now. Wiggins should be in pretty good shape, even if you know you have to get in game shape, obviously. But you're two to three weeks down, and barring any other injuries, they're looking really good going into the Western Conference Finals. The only thing I would draw back there is, at least personally, I've I've never been a believer in the Sixers team. I've never been a believer in this Clippers team. There's just the dynamics, the health, yeah. the combinations. I, I don't even include them in that conversation because we've never seen it. Yeah, I'm, I, I am not. I love Joel Embiid. I am not. I'm not. Super high on the Sixers myself. If we're going to move to the Eastern Conference there, not super high on, on the Sixers. Dan. I'm not sure they can beat Boston. That's a, it's a good point, too. That, that, that would be nope. a, a compelling series if it, if it matches up that way and, and all the stars line in terms of the way the Eastern Conference rolls out. I want to get, as we roll on in a second, Dan, uh, your thoughts to kind of maybe get me a little bit more hyped and, and get Scott maybe a little bit more on board for tonight's play and matchup, even though I think it. Is it really going to sell it to Scott? I don't know. We'll see. But I want to first look at the Pacers for a second because you Memphis, you mentioned the Memphis Grizzlies, and you look in terms of market construction, you look at the type of setup that both Memphis and Indiana have as a whole, it, similar blueprints for success in that if you don't succeed and nail it in the draft, you're not going to be able to build towards anything truly special. Obviously, John Morant is a one-of-a-kind talent, and even I think the biggest of Pacers fans would probably look at the best player on the Pacers right now, the most electric one in Tyrese Halliburton, say, I don't know if he's necessarily Jaws level, but he is a face of a franchise here in Indy. 
When you look at the Pacers, Scott and I were talking about it. You'd like to have ideally uh, another another two-way piece and finally getting somebody at the four that is able to draw a top assignment on the nightly basis. Also have a guy that can go out and get you 25, 30, 40 points a game when asked upon. How difficult is that in this upcoming free agency class slash with what the assets the Pacers have, wherever their top pick is, plus two additional first-rounders? When you look at their roster right now, how difficult would it be to have them on the right path to a 4, 5, or 6 spot next year in the East? Yeah, we talked about this, if you remember, uh, around the draft and post-draft yep. years. You, you asked me what my outlook was for them. What, where, where, what's the plan for them, right? And they actually stuck to that plan that we talked about pretty well, I thought so. You know, letting Halliburton and, and Matherin really start to bloom and you know, find their own way in this league. And I think they did that. So that's mission accomplished right there to me. Yeah. Um, I still think Rick is a great coach. I think Rick's doing a, a really good job with this group that he had. Um, I don't think it's going to be that hard to address issues, but it's a, it's a two-prong attack for me. One, are we, which way are we going? Are we still saying we're trying to get into this now? Are we going to be – or are we going to go the Houston route where, okay, you know, we've gone years now of not winning games and – at some point, the young assets we have have to start showing progress and moving, right? So which way are we going in that sense? If, if they want to, I guess, speed up their process, if they think it's speeding up, then yes, you can get that in this draft, especially where they land in the, in the lottery. I'll be interested to see where that goes. And I'll have more on that. Obviously, we'll talk yeah, about that no close to the draft, individual names, because once we see where everybody drops. But I do think that you can address a lot of their stuff. If you, if you do need a big, I, there's a lot of bigs in this draft that are going to be very, very good players, especially in the second round. There's going to be some guys that you might pick up that you wouldn't have picked up normally in the second round that dropped just because this is a bit of a deep draft when it comes to guards and wings, you know, and, and yeah. scorers and playmakers. So I think you're going to find some value later in the first into the second. And then in free agency, we'll see exactly how it all falls out. But I think, We'll see the plan from them, I think, immediately once the lottery happens and we see where they land. I think you're going to start seeing – because they can really only go one of two ways. Well, we're let's say for the sake of argument, Dan, I, and I don't, mean to, I don't mean to cut across you, but just to clarify that because I didn't set the question up properly, well, the boat that Scott and I are in is next year is not the Houston route. It is we want to see fruits of labor. We want to see a trip to the playoffs, not, not a play-in opportunity. That's what I think – the vibe of the franchise and the front office is going to be in how they attack things this offseason. Then if that's the case, then you can absolutely do that. There, there's, if, if that is the way that they choose, then you can address that in this draft, in my opinion. I think you can actually still stay on the course and grow young talent. And there might be some veterans out there that you'll be able to get. Obviously, you're not going to break the bank for everybody, but there are some names that may come out or, or maybe in you know trade fodder or, or you're as a poor team that you're picking – Guys up, you know, there's talk about Trey Young. So what are the ramifications of that? Not him going to Indiana, but there's going to be ramifications. If they trade Trey Young, is that a Clint Capella issue? You know, are they going to move Capella? You know, it's things like that. So I think it's going to be more of a, you know, a secondary move when it comes to that. But if it's a speed up, they can absolutely do it this year. This is a good year to do it. Talking with Dan Purcell and Dan, I'm I'm very curious what trades could potentially look like just in terms of the the value there because we saw at the trade deadline, right? I mean, 
a couple guys went for five second round picks. I mean, the val- basically what we've seen is Minnesota and their new ownership kind of screwed up the trade value of guys because of that Rudy Gobert deal and subsequent trades. And so I absolutely believe the Pacers will be in that conversation. I'm curious how much it's going to cost because, for example, one guy they really wanted at the trade deadline, like many teams, was OG Ananobi. It maybe yeah. cost three first round picks. The belief was maybe it needed four. Nonetheless, Toronto didn't elect to do anything anything so to me i'm most interested to see what teams believe the value is when the trade market comes yeah and you know actually og was five first rounds that's what toronto was asking for in the beginning part of the trade talks with most teams it was five first round picks (laughs) why would you do that yeah (laughs) there's no reason and there's no reason and you know i talked to uh, i've i talked to a couple gms across the league about that and it's just that minnesota you guys hit it head on it doesn't take an expert to know this but that Minnesota trade has really skewed the value of future draft picks, right? You had it a little bit with the Anthony Davis trade. You had it a little bit, you know, it, it kind of built up from Drew the Holiday Davis trade. And Drew, yeah, and Drew Holiday, like what are what is the value of picks? And to me, I'm a firm believer in the value of draft picks, that they're very, very important. I mean, look at OKC. Indiana's going to be one of those teams. Like, the value of the pick is higher than what the perceived value is right now, and that's just capitalism, right? So – the perceived value of these first-round picks is so low because people are trying to win now, and they're saying, we can fill that gap with X, whether that's the in the new CBA, the middle class that gets a little more squeezed, and maybe you get, instead of having a mid-level guy, you're going to get him on a minimum, things like that. So there's a lot of movement, but that Minnesota trade, you're absolutely right. It has devalued, especially first-round picks, in my opinion. And second-round picks are, are what value now? Yeah, and, and I guess that is a... It makes this next question very sad to kind of build off of Scott's question there. And I know we'll ask you this when we have you back on as we get closer to the draft. But when you're looking at the value of this draft, Dan, Dan Purcell, nice enough to take some time with us here on the fan. The Pacers having three first rounders, but you would assume they would keep their top pick. But those other two first rounders they have around the, the in the 20s, can't remember the exact specific spot of them, but in the 20s in that regard, how much value is there for those picks just for this draft? I understand we talked about how the, the value around the league is kind of depreciated, but with what this draft offers, how enticing would that be to a team that's trying to either get rid of an expiring contract or maybe doesn't like a fit of one player and want to send him to greener pastures? Yeah, I actually think that's actually really good ammo Um, because as the draft gets closer, the picks become more valuable. That's kind of how this thing works, right? The further you are from the draft, the less perceived value, and the closer you get to the draft, the more perceived value, right? So that's why you see a lot of these small market teams, they make their trades either right before or right after the the lottery, or I'm sorry, after the draft because it's a perceived value thing, right? So. I think that's actually great ammo because you can do you can either couple those together, trade higher if you if your guy is there at 17, 18, maybe even 15 if a team's willing to work with you on it, um, and you can go trade up and get your guy. Or is it I can use one of those as trade fodder and see what I can get, whether that's pick up a vet on an expiring contract or maybe if they need to cut money to sign somebody. Like there's a lot of different things that they can do. With those picks, I love that 20 to 30. That's my sweet spot personally. I think there's tons of value, and then you lock them up for that rookie scale contract, whereas second round guys, you don't get to lock them up to that contract for as long. So there's a, it's a low money risk and a high value reward 20 through 30. 
Dan Purcell with us, former front office executive and current director of scouting at the Sports Business Classroom and NBA Summer League. Dan, want to dive into the play in a bit tonight. Raptors, Bulls, Pelicans, Thunder. I, I don't know how big, if at all, gambling guy you are. Raptors minus six. <laughs> uh, Pelicans minus five and a half. And the other intriguing bet that we talked about a little bit off air is, what is it, Scott? 12 and one, something like that in terms of... In the unders, the last eight games, going back the, la- oh, the wow. last two years, all the unders have hit. So wow. you, you can take anything <laughs> you want. And if you're not a gambling guy, you can spin it instead on just expectations for tonight why should scott watch i mean he'll watch but why should he maybe change his tune on the plan i i'm not a gambler at all i understand <laughs> that metrics and vegas never loses right yeah so nope. uh yeah I, th- I think i think it's pretty much on the table the 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 chicago toronto game is not really a super intriguing game to me i think chicago's i've watched their last 10 games and they don't look very <laughs> that says it all right there, doesn't it? Say something nice. <laughs> the effort wasn't there. Yeah. And Toronto, they have enough talent. They have enough wing depth and scoring talent. I think they I think they get this one tonight. I would I would definitely take them. And then the second game's very interesting. Obviously if the Pelicans had Zion, this would be a no brainer. I would actually probably pick the Pelicans to upset some people, but they lost to Minnesota, who played very well in Minnesota, and their best player had 42, and they still couldn't pick up the win. So there's an OKC is a very extremely well coached team, lots of really good players, and one elite player, and they they have snuck up on the league a lot this year. Everybody thought they were in the they were just going to fall to the wayside when Chet Holmgren went down, and they have really really done a good job. Mark Dagenau is such a good coach, so I would not be surprised if Oklahoma City goes in there and, and surprises. New Orleans today. I don't think it happens. I would it wouldn't surprise me. Last thing, Dan, you brought up Toronto. So to me, they're among the most interesting teams this offseason because I could see them going in a variety of ways. And it starts at the top with Usai Mujiri and, and Nick Nurse and those conversations, plus a, a number of different guys they could elect to trade, like we discussed at the trade deadline or not. Uh, and maybe it's they're probably up there with intrigue in terms of like the Warriors with, with Draymond, with Bob Myers. What is Bob going to do? Um, where do you kind of sit with that? And, and do you see maybe Toronto like my? Miami is a team that maybe needs to to step back and have a little bit of a reset. I, I think if, if if we want to stop the, start at the top with leadership and leadership leads with Masai, I would expect a rebuild to start. Um, they have, and the only reason they're ripe for a rebuild, in my in my opinion, they're kind of in no man's land, right? They're six yep. to nine in the East. They have they have really good players, but they don't have an elite guy, you know, a top twenty player that can take them. Beat, you know, that can beat Philly in a seven-game series. So, you know, and for, for example, the Phillies have Embiid. He can beat you in a seven-game series in the first or second round. So, for me, if Masai decides that, he's, that they're leaving or they're parting ways, I would expect a, a full clean house. And I actually, I actually was thinking Indiana in terms of Siakam um, as a possible area. They have the draft capital. They, sh- they should have the space. There's a lot of, you know, uh, mechanics in the CBA that could really work there. I think he'd actually be a very viable option with Indiana. You don't want to talk about making the rebuild faster. I think that's a really good name to look out for. Um, but then Van Vliet, you know, his contract stuff is, is um, you know, it's coming to an end there. His his time is pretty much over there. It's I just think you build around Scotty Barnes, get a bunch of draft picks. Let's move on from there. <laughs> you mentioned Pascal, and I completely agree. The fit is fantastic. 
But we just talked about OG, them wanting five first-round picks. <laughs> I can't even imagine if they're actually trying to play ball than what they would demand. But that's a whole different OG point. He makes a lot less money, though, in defense. He makes a lot less money. So there's, uh, there's value that's in the fair. number, right? That's, that's an old saying is there's value in the number. And that number on OG is way less than Pascal. And, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a different dynamic when you start putting the actual salaries together you go, oh, okay, this is a possibility. And with Indiana having a lot of flexibility, to me, that was one of the teams that I'm actually doing my off-season review of every team. I'm working on Toronto. Literally, I was working on it yesterday, and I'm, I'm glad you guys asked because I saw Indiana as a, po- as a possible uh, landing spot for them. There's also some others that you know, can also give really good packages, uh, New Orleans if they wanted to, you know, teams like that. But it's a very interesting fit there. I think he would fit great with Rick. Last question on my end, Dan, in a scenario where I'm definitely not going to uh, place the bet that you decide to give me here today. Uh, looking at the <laughs> look at it, uh, futures here, to win it all, <laughs> not name the Bucks. Who would you take to win it all and hoist the Larry O'Brien trophy here in about two months? If healthy Golden State, I, I, I don't wow. see a team mm-hmm. other than Boston having it, having if Golden State is healthy and Wiggins is playing at just his normal level um, and no injuries happen, I, it's hard for me to bet against, against them. You have the best player. You have the second best player on earth. You have the best role player on earth. <laughs> you have the best defense when Looney's in there against bigs. Like they match up against bigs. They bat, match up against small ball. They can match up against speed. They match you on shooting. I mean, they have the counter to your punch pretty much every team but Boston. Plus nine fifty juice. I was gonna say punch, pun intended, oh, right well there, done. right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. You know, and, and I hate to say it because I know I, I know people in Indiana love, you know like Malcolm Brogdon, but he's been awesome. <laughs> he's he has been awesome for Boston. He's been like that's what he's my X factor when it comes to why I'm high on the Celtics. His, the way he plays and how he plays and how he fits in is, is just awesome there. Yeah, I think Dan, that, that yeah, was Dan, a, we're happy for him, yeah. That was a <laughs> deal that worked out for both <laughs> both sides very well, I yeah, think. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. I Dan, agree. Dan, always appreciate you making time for us. No, we'll circle back as the playoffs continue to unfold and as we get closer to the draft. Uh, remind me if I if I missed anything. Obviously, Sports Business Classroom, a great opportunity for those wanting to, to get the ins and outs of their dreams of being in the front office of different sports, not just the NBA, even though that's the focus there, director scouting there. Uh, anything else you want to plug while you're here? Uh, yeah, sports business classroom during Summer League. It's, yep. an, it's the immersive experience. Um, we've, we've done a study now. We're at a, a high percentage of our graduates go and get jobs into either the G League, the NBA, the WNBA, um, overseas in Euro League. It's, a, it's like a – it's so, so rewarding to see young people that put the time and effort into what they do in our program, and they're rewarded for that time and effort. Well, it's a great thing. It's always fun to see that and see the fruits in general kind of come forth with Sports Business Classroom. I'm going to look forward to following along with that as well. We'll talk to you before then, my friend. Thanks for making time. Thanks for having me, guys. That is Dan Purcell, Director of Scouting with the Sports Business Classroom over at Summer League. It's 2000s flavor all around. I know that doesn't do anything for the YouTube audience or the podcast uh, audience because we don't have the YouTube, um, but a little skater boy going on there. Good work there by Eddie Garrison. We teased going to break the bar that is unfair to set on Chris Boward, but that what is set on any general manager when you're talking about taking a swing at a franchise quarterback. And it's something that Colts fans and Colts pundits need to ponder because you brought up the idea that I've kind of been pushing a little bit just to prepare Colts fans in case it happens, which is, what if Bauer doesn't like what's available to him at four? 
And in my mind, if I'm Chris Boward, I'm inflecting Jimmy Cook's opinions to Chris Boward's draft room right now, good or bad. I want Anthony Richardson. Oh, no. Somebody's traded up to take him at three. Sure. He's gone. It's the Raiders. It's the Raiders. And now it's Will Levis or another position player or trading back. And I know Colts fans don't want to hear that. And I know that Jim Irsay wants to figure out the quarterback right now. But between Shane Steichen and Chris Ballard, the bar that I'm setting on them, that again, isn't fair, but it's the way it goes. You're not just looking at what the prospect could be. You are trying to sim out what their career is going to be, what they're going to look like five years from now. And just because you have a high-end pick, if you don't Look, I'm looking at Will Levis because I would rather have Richardson. But if you want to change that and say it's Richardson that you don't want and he's there at four, you have to look at that prospect, what he can be in Shane Steichen's system, what he can be in this league. And if your answer is Mac Jones, or if your answer is his ceiling is Josh Rosen, <laughs> you don't take him. Wow. And, I'm, and, and again, I'm being a little aggressive there towards Levis or Richardson. But if that is the thought process, you go take the generational defensive piece, or you go trade back and either take a swing on Hendon Hooker just as a rebuild or a, a, a recovery project, rather, or you go take what's best available at that point. Because if you take it now, it is short-term happiness. Everybody's excited about it and renewed optimism because we finally got the young guy. And in three or four years, if he doesn't pan out and he is Mark Sanchez, or just, you know, just think of a quarterback that I know he went to two AFC championship games, but it wasn't really him as much as it was the completeness of the team. If he's not a franchise guy, Ballard's out of a job, the fan base is irate, and we're back to square one. Now, I know that's the gamble of the draft, but all this talk of how they have to take a rookie quarterback this year, I agree, unless you don't like what's left. They said they didn't have to trade up to one because they thought they could still get their guy at four. Unless their guy is Will Levis, and it's Anthony Richardson, and he's not there, you don't just take Levis for the sake of, ah, we finally got a rookie QB. But here's the thing. What did I mention yesterday? How much everybody seemingly wants, just step up to the plate and take a swing at somebody. Because you can't keep kicking this down the road time and time again like they have for six years, it's felt like. Four different iterations. Isn't this going to be the eighth different it's not It's not year. great, yes. With a different it's starting quarterback week one. It's not great. Just because it's done, yeah. Even though you may not have strong convictions about it, you may need to do it. Now, that said, if you don't, because I don't believe they're ready to win next year, meaning win big. They aren't. Uh, uh, you, you don't need yeah. to say I don't. I, okay. I'll, 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 they're I'll not ready. To, they're, there they, you go. No. Because of that, I would be more inclined to trade back and build up your assets, build up the closet full of guys who can compete and that need a year under their belt and then are ready to take off here in two or three years when you're ready to be in that conversation once again. I'd be more inclined to go that way. And again, to clarify the statement, because I'm sure the, the YouTube chat in general is eating us alive or eating me no, alive No, that never this. happens, yeah, it never happens it? ever. Again, I'm not saying that they can't take a quarterback and I'm not saying that maybe they take Will Levis and he pans out and his high-end ceiling is is better than the, the bad examples I've given. Maybe he turns into a, a true franchise-altering quarterback. All I'm saying is this conversation that they finally have to take a swing, I don't disagree with it, 
But if it's wrong and Bauer doesn't believe it, it's your job as a general manager to do all you can to your owner and your head coach to say, I don't like this guy. I don't think he's going to pan out for us. And if you get overruled, that's life. All you have to do is do your job as a general manager. If the owner says, nah, we're taking a quarterback for the same reasons you outlined, we're tired of kicking the can Doesn't down the line. Doesn't seem like it's going we're that tired way. Of, yeah, it does. <laughs> no, it does. Everything that's being said right now Enough is already they're going to take a QB at yeah. four. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm as confident. I'm trying to look at it from another perspective. But yes, if you gave me true serum right now and asked me, what do I think happens at four? Yes, they take Levis or Richardson. I have paused, though, for one of those prospects. And all I'm saying is, if Bauer has the same of either one, Richardson or Levis, I would rather trade back or address another key need than just take one for the sake of taking one. Here's here's an idea for the Colts and their great documentary department. <laughs> How fascinating would it be to have like Ballard for like one day each week leading up to the draft here? To go through Twitter and read fan comments about a player, a scenario, listen to local radio briefly, and give his thoughts that moment, and then to be able to look back at it. I, I, I've always thought it'd be fascinating to be someone inside that room and to listen to the outside noise and what is being said and seeing how, how much, if at all, it matches up to that conversation internally. I, I think that would be, I think it would be hilarious if I'm Chris Ballard to, to tune into podcasts and radio and jump on Twitter for five minutes after you just spent all day having the same conversations at work with those who have the intel, who have binders of info in all this. That'd be fascinating. Well, you're going to have somewhat of an in in that regard because coming up at 2 o'clock, there you go. J.J. Stankovitz, Colts.com, is going to join us. You, you could pitch that to him. I'm sure he <laughs> loves, in general, any off-season ideas that you can flow his way. I don't know what type of commission cut you're going to get for that, but, I mean, you know, you could you could try to work something out there with J.J. Maybe a line in the credits. <laughs> Maybe you Kevin can o- take the Kevin punch Connors. card, Jimmy. The what? The punch card. Maybe you can take the punch card. Oh, the, pun- the punch card. So, uh, to open that behind the curtain for the audience. We have a running <laughs> joke with JJ that uh, we have a, a sandwich card for an undisclosed sandwich location where he gets a punch card whenever he comes on the show. So may, maybe you can get one of those punches. Maybe you can get closer to a, it started, to a free deli sub. Can I get a punch sta- card too? <laughs> it started on the way too early pregame show. It's, yeah, it started with the way too early pregame show when okay. we're on 6 to 8 a.m. It, it was a joke that we get him like it was a coffee punch card or something like sure. that. Because yeah. God bless him for getting up that early to, to talk Colts football and particularly with a house of children. That's not not an easy task. So we'll definitely talk to him. You can pitch that idea, and also we can just get his thoughts on he just had his latest mock draft Monday this past week. We'll kind of get an angle of of what he's hearing, but also where he feels the biggest needs for this Colts team outside of quarterback will be addressed. That's coming up at 2 o'clock, but additionally coming up here in about – what are we at? About four minutes or so of a conversation with Dan Purcell, former front office executive with the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, currently the director of scouting at Sports Business Classroom out at Summer League. This will be a great opportunity to kind of pen his mind for what he sees across the board with the upcoming free agent market, what he sees out of this draft class. And of course, we'll dive into the NBA play in action last night. I love that you and I are having the jokes about it not counting for anything, but not only that. Last night, and I know that you were asleep because I, you know, am a glutton for punishment, and I wanted to stay up for the whole game. Oh, I was not couples. asleep. I oh, am I a you night said you went to bed. Okay. Oh no. I, I, sorry, I misunderstood you earlier. Okay. So I stayed up for inside the NBA as well, and I love Charles and Kenny and Shaq. And I'm Team Ernie. Charles with what he had to say last night. We'll dive into that as the show goes on. But the point I was talking about is, 
did if if the game really happened, is this really a post game show? Because because you know they don't count the stats. <laughs> it's all a running gag for sure amongst the play in tournament. But we'll dive into that with Dan Purcell around the corner again. Former front office executive, a part of the New Orleans Pelicans, and currently with the Sports Business Classroom on ninety three five one zero seven five The Fan. Just after 2 p.m. here in central Indiana, a gorgeous day outside. If you have not gotten out, I encourage you to make a point to do so, but keep us on the radio as you do as you're listening to the Fan Midday Show with Jimmy Cook. I'm Scott Agnes, and we move to our next guest to talk more Colts, more NFL. It's J.J. Stankovitz with Colts.com. Been there for several years, and and J.J., things picking up a little bit over there, certainly at West 56th Street. Not only is the draft a couple weeks away now, but some action with Shane Steichen kind of trying to set the culture here from day one and, and meeting with some players. What have you learned here over the last couple of days? Yeah, you know, we, we are now in the early stages of Shane Steichen looking to implement the culture that he wants inside the Indiana Farm Bureau, Bureau Football Center. And it's just been interesting hearing from players about, you know, all right, yeah, like his first team meeting, like he, he had a lot of juice and you can tell sort of the outline of, of what he wants this thing to look like. And I think that's that's really important that Shane has come in and, and set very clear boundaries and directives uh, from day one to these guys where you're not going to, you're not going to build the offense today. Like literally today was the first time Shane even talked X's notes with any of the guys on offense, but Hey, look, these are the expectations. We're going to keep reinforcing them. You know, they're reinforced on the walls of the building now, and it is going to be different. It's going to be a different feel than the Colts have had in years past. And, you know, I think some of the, the things that Shane wants out of his guys are, are, things that really do work and, and really do, you know, produce successful teams in the NFL. Um, you know, just hearing from guys, you know, we just heard from DeForest Buckner, Zaire Franklin, even hearing from guys on defense, uh, you know, about just how, you know, yeah, Shane's like, you know, seems like a good guy, got some energy, uh, you know, seems like the right leader for this team. I thought it was interesting, JJ, you immediately mentioned how, you know, the walls have changed a little bit. The Saints are on the wall. I think we all remember that with Tony Dungy and the commitments and different things that he held up there. Is there a complete noticeable difference of Shane Steichman and, and what he's trying to implement there just as you walk in and the tone they set when they enter the locker room? Yeah, well, you know, in the locker room now, it's painted up on the wall. When, when you're committed, you're connected, and okay. that's one of – Shane's, uh, you know, go-to phrases that he has. Uh, you know, the other one that, that he said even in the team meeting on Monday, you know, the separation is in the preparation. So, you know, every coach has their sayings and their, uh, their kind of mantras and, and mottos that they want to hit home. Um, but for Shane, you know, they're, they're all pretty straightforward. They're all pretty understandable. And, um, you know, I think they're all pretty easily digestible for guys to start to buy into him. Because, I mean, look, the, a lot of these guys in this team, that you know, this is now the third head coach they've they've been here with whether it's been frank reich jeff saturday now shane steichen and you know it's not that guys doubt any of this stuff i think all of them are trusting but that trust does have to be built upon and continue to be earned um you know really starting this week with shane steichen and these guys J.D. Stankovitz of Colts.com, as well as public address announcer for the Indianapolis colts nice enough to take some time with us today jj to kind of build off of that 
this is a unique offseason for you from a coverage standpoint because the Colts are given that benefit of extra time to start their offseason program with a new head coach at the helm. This obviously the first offseason uh, in a number of years and in, in your tenure there, if I'm not mistaken, where a new head coach has been there to go through this process. What has, if anything, your day-to-day changed and how has that in this first week kind of changed the outlook of things with a, an early start to this new campaign? Really, the, the biggest thing is it's not the early start. You know, the Colts are starting a week earlier than uh, other teams are allowed to start. The biggest thing is the mini camp the Colts will get to hold the week of the NFL draft, where that will allow coaches to get on the grass with players and, and start doing some instruction. I covered one of those in 2018 when I was covering the Bears, where, uh, you know, they're able to get on the grass, the, that new coaching staff with Matt Nagy. And, you know, those those are pretty spirited practices. It was fun to see, you know, some, you know, even if it was more at, a, at an OTA-type pace, uh, it's fun to see guys getting after it in April. Um, and, and that stuff is really valuable, especially for the offense, to be able to get some, some on-field coaching work about a month earlier than everyone else. And in addition to the 10 days of OTA and minicamp practices that will take place in, in May and June, so to me, that that's the biggest benefit right there is that work that the Colts will get in April, uh, even beyond just maybe starting a week early. Talking with JJ Stankovitz of Colts.com, and JJ, I want to I want to pitch a product here for you for your okay. great documentary yeah. team, Lara K. Connors, all those over there. I think it would be great, like once a week here, and it's a little late, but leading up to the draft to show Chris Ballard or one of the execs over there. The what people are saying, whether it's fans, um, national writers about the draft and about selections. Maybe you listen to a podcast for five minutes or a radio show and have him live react to what is being said and then produce that in a documentary. So maybe he's like, there's no chance we're taking X guy. And that was a month before the draft. I think it would be fascinating to see that after they have already done most of their due diligence, after they truly know on the inside and then kind of laughing about some of what is being said or written. I mean, here, here's the thing. I, the, the Colts, when they're done doing their due diligence with top 30 visits, that's when, like, that's when the marathon days start. I mean, and I think those have already started, yeah. uh, really, those marathon days. I don't, I don't know if Chris has a ton of time on his hands right now um, to go and read through inaccurate mock drafts. It would be funny, but I don't know if he's, he's got the bandwidth right now because, you know, th- this is when you're really getting that draft board set uh, you know, between now and, and the start of the draft. You know, really, Chris Ballard has said the cement doesn't dry until draft day. And, and that's true. You really got to put in a ton of work now, uh, you know, coming through. I mean, the amount of information that is gathered on these guys, it's like, it's, it's so vast, it's almost incomprehensible if you're not in the process as a scout or a member of the front office or a member of the coaching staff. Um, and that, to sift through that and then to be able to come to a decision on it, where you're not, you're not you know, nitpicking every little thing and, and you have to look at guys who have flaws and you have to identify what flaws are, are we, can we work around, what flaws can we correct, what flaws are uncorrectable. Like, my goodness, I'm glad I don't do that job because I don't know how mentally you would handle it. You have to be wired a different way than I am to go through that process. 
JJ Stankovitz with us. JJ, you talked a little bit about the stress just now that goes on with front offices. And look, I mean, obviously, we can all have our opinions on what we want the Colts to do. We're 15 days away now. In my mind, you know, I'm kind of been set on Anthony Richardson. That's what I want to see happen. But perhaps there is really still internal debate within the Colts about Richardson or Levis. I'm not asking you about that specifically. What I'm asking about is you've covered two front offices to some extent or two teams to some extent with the Chicago Bears and now with the Indianapolis Colts for a couple of seasons. As you look through or kind of recall back to previous drafts, and I know this one is different, but how much wiggle room or headway is made with your first and second round decision boards when you're two weeks out from the draft? I think I think most teams operate where before the combine you anchor your board so you don't have wild swings based on what you might learn between the combine and the NFL draft. So I, I think, you know, because, it, I mean, look, the tape tells you a lot of what you need to know, and there's no new tape on these guys, really. You know, you can say there's pro day tape or whatever. Uh, there's, really, there's really no new tape on these guys from the end of the season until now. So at least in, in my experience, you, you anchor your board – and then you can, you know, obviously guys will move a little bit, but you're not going to have like, man, you know, we had this guy with a fifth-round grade in January, and all of a sudden we come to April and he's got a third-round grade or a second-round grade or a first-round grade. Usually those, those things are going to be relatively stable. Here's the one thing that I, I can speak to what the Colts are doing and the involvement that the coaching staff has. Just hearing from Chris Ballard down in Arizona at the owners' meetings, and the importance of getting Shane Steichen's eyes on these guys and not just saying, all right, here's who we as a, a front office think you need to take and go ahead. Here you go. It's, you know, what, you know, what are you looking for? Um, you know, with Shane Steichen in that, and that collaborative process is so important because if you hand a head coach, a quarterback that he didn't want, that's how you wind up usually with a, a guy who doesn't work out. Um, but one thing I thought that Chris Ballard said that was really interesting and really notable in Arizona was that Shane Steichen's experience with different types of quarterbacks, whether it's been Phillip Rivers, Justin Herbert with the Chargers, Jalen Hurts with the Eagles, kind of opens up every available lane in this year's draft of player types and uh, you know athletic profiles and certain traits because Steichen's coached three completely different quarterbacks and had success with three completely different quarterbacks. So you don't, he doesn't have a, what I'm trying to say is he doesn't have a type. He doesn't have one type of quarterback that he needs to have to run his offense. It can be whatever type of quarterback he gets and whatever type of quarterback he wants. He can mold an offense to that guy. That is an incredibly valuable asset to have as the Colts go through this draft process. JJ Stankovitz with us. DeForest Buckner, one of the players who spoke today, and it seemed like some of the comments that I read that he really wanted to be here, and but had a conversation maybe with Chris Ballard at the end of the season, an exit interview type. What stood out to you about what DeForest had to say about this offseason for him and, and about this team's uh, future moving forward? Yeah, you know, first of all, DeForest Buckner said there was a rumor on Twitter going around uh, that he was he wanted out of Indy. I remember seeing that, and the account that uh, tweeted that is notorious for just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks and just kind of making stuff up. So I thought it was even funny that he he responded to it. But he said he had a couple of uh, players text him after that 
tweet went up being like, hey, man, come play for us. And he's like, no, 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 like, what's going on? Uh, but, yeah, he did have a conversation with Chris Ballard at the end of the season. All players go through those exit interviews mm-hmm. with the GM. And, you know, Defoe's on board. Buck is on board uh, with what the Colts are doing, the direction they're going. This team is not rebuilding. That's something he, you know, he's pretty adamant about it, you know, age 28. In year eight of his career, he does not want to go through a rebuild, and that's not what this team is doing right now. Um, so, you know, hearing from him and, and just hearing that he likes the direction that he thinks Shane Steichen can take this team, he trusts Chris Ballard to make the right moves to build this team. Um, you know, it, it's good to hear because Buck is one of the most important voices in that locker room as a, a veteran who's been there before. He's done that. He's been to a Super Bowl. Uh, you know, he's been an all-pro that's the kind of guy who, if you're going to establish a culture, you need a guy like Buck on board, and it certainly sounds like he is. J.J. Stango, it's Colts.com with us here on the Fan Midday Show. J.J., you've continued your series on Colts.com of NFL Mock Draft Monday, obviously two and a half weeks to go or so when you published this just two days ago. I know we tried to you know, kind of coax it out of you uh, last time you were on, so I understand <laughs> you're not going to make a selection of even what you would do with that fourth overall pick, but... When you evaluate it, where in all the mocks you've seen, where are the biggest pros, where are the biggest cons with what the Colts could potentially do at four, just on what you've kind of analysis from you from your mock drafts? I think the most interesting thing is I haven't seen a ton of mock drafts that have had the Colts not taking a quarterback. Because that would be, you know, to, to throw that out there, that would go against conventional wisdom that the Colts are going to take a quarterback. And not a lot of mock drafts do that, but I – I like seeing the ones that do and seeing kind of how they frame it. And, and okay, wh- what does this mean? Are the Colts just going to totally pass on taking a quarterback in the draft? Or are they going to take one later in the draft? Those are always fascinating to me because the, the way this could play out, because the Colts have the fourth overall pick, you know, there are scenarios. Every scenario is open to this team. That unless you have the number one overall pick and you give up a boatload of picks and a great wide receiver to go get it, um, unless you have that, the draft is not in your control until you go on the clock. So that lends itself to every available option being open to you. And Chris Ballard has been very clear in everything that he has said that, yes, you would like to get that quarterback in this year's draft, but if that guy isn't on the board at number four, you don't reach for him because that's taking the, the wrong quarterback at the wrong time is almost worse than not taking a quarterback at all. In fact, I think it probably is yeah. worse. So, you know, and, and we've been saying it, if you listen to the official Colts podcast that we do every Tuesday, um, you know, we've all been saying it like, hey, this, yes, it is likely that the Colts take a quarterback, but it is not a guarantee the only thing that, to me, that's guaranteed in this entire draft is that Carolina takes a quarterback. That's the only thing to me that is guaranteed in this draft. Not even Houston taking a quarterback at number two, because who knows if Houston likes only one of the quarterbacks in this year's draft and Carolina takes that guy and Houston goes, well, guess we'll take Will Anderson. You know, that, <laughs> that is, that's a scenario that could happen, yeah. too. So I, I think a lot of people get caught up in, well, this is the obvious thing that's going to happen. But the, it, there are no guarantees. We're still two and a half weeks out. And until, I mean, Shane Steichen even said it and, uh, at the owners' meetings in Arizona where he goes, I get people asking me all the time, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? And he's like, bro, I don't even know. I won't even know until 15 <laughs> minutes before the pick what we're going to do. Okay. Like, that, 
that that and I know that's not a satisfying answer for anyone, but that is the reality of where the things stand with the Colts right now. J.J. Stakovitz with us here on the Fan Midday Show. And, J.J., a couple times you've referenced those owner meetings, and that's invaluable, certainly, for you reporters. What what was kind of some of the key takeaways? Or just take us inside that experience when you were able to talk with owner Jim Ursay and others uh, for the few days out there. Uh, let me tell you the most interesting thing I got down there. It wasn't from talking to, uh, you know, Jim Ursay or Chris Ballard or Shane Steichen. I went around – the coaches' breakfast that they do—it's uh, about 30 minutes long in the morning, where all the all 32 coaches are are made available to the media. And I talked to Andy Reid, Ron Rivera, and Pete Carroll about Shane Steichen and just being a first-year head coach. And I sat down with Ron Rivera and, and I asked him, like, what what's something you wish you knew in year one as a head coach that you you know now? And the first thing he said, I didn't even have to prompt him, you know, say, hey, I'm with the Colts. He said, I wish I had a former head coach on my staff in my first year as a head coach. Mm. And who does Shane Steichen have on his staff? Gus Bradley, who is a former head coach. And that, that presence of Gus Bradley, kind of the, this light bulb goes off of like, oh, yeah, that is really valuable beyond, you know, Gus being back in year two as a defensive coordinator and being able to build on what he built last year. Having Gus Bradley on this coaching staff for Shane Steichen to just pop over and say, Hey, you know, this thing came across my desk. I don't really know what to do with it. Uh, What did you do with it when you were in Jacksonville? Having that presence on Gus Bradley or on Shane Steichen's staff in Gus Bradley to me is is so important and is a a really neat little nugget that I kind of picked up down there. And then hearing from Pete Carroll, uh, he he told a story about his first year as a coach was with the New York Jets in 1994. And he said, you always got to know your audience of who's in the audience when you're speaking, because I guess he made a comment in his first team meeting uh, where the owner was present that the owner did not appreciate. And uh, I guess that made it easier for the owner to fire Pete Carroll after one season uh, with the Jets. And just, you know, like the, the, all those guys said, you know, being a first-year head coach in the NFL is hard. It's really hard. And you got to surround yourself with the right people. you got to have the right mentality to do it. And there are going to be things that come up that you, you've never seen before, you've never experienced before. And you got to be able to weather the storm. But then having that, that person with experience who's been through it on your staff where you don't, you know, Shane Steichen won't need to go bother you know, Nick Sirianni of like, hey, when we were in Philly, what, what did you do with this? Because Nick's going to have his own stuff to do. Um, that, to me, that, that's really, really important and a really nice little benefit that Shane Steichen has this year. J.J. Stankovitz here with us on the Fan Midday Show. J.J., I want to zoom past the first round for a second and look at the other needs present on this team. Most of the consensus needs are cornerback and wide receiver. From the different analysts that we've talked to, most recently Charles Davis yesterday, the prevailing thought is that there is a relatively deep crop of cornerbacks in this draft. Wide receiver, the other need. When you're looking at that, where are you personally ranking the you know assortment of you'd like to see drafted or, or the, the, the capital that is invested in each of those positions in this draft? The, so uh, I talked about this on the, the official podcast yesterday, but you've got to remember in the NFL draft that your needs today are not going to be your needs tomorrow. Sure. And you know, I went through and I looked at, okay, who's going to be a free agent after this season? 
for the Colts. And, you know, you do have a couple of cornerbacks. You have Kenny Moore the second. You have Isaiah Rogers Sr. Both those guys are slated to be free agents if they don't get extensions before that. So cornerback, obviously, but that was already going to be a need. Yeah. Because even if the Colts kept Stephon Gilmore, he was going to be a free agent after this season. So cornerback to me is a pretty significant need. Wide receiver, you know, it, you would expect something to get done with Michael Pittman Jr., uh, you know, where he'll be on the team after this season. But, you know, that that is another area of need. Um, but other, you know, there are some sneaky areas of need on this team. Uh, you know, you look at, and this you're, you're talking about after the first round here. So, you know, running back, Jonathan Taylor, again, you expect something to get done there, but Zach Moss will be slated to be a free agent. Do you think about on maybe day three taking a, a you know, third down type running back, guy can catch passes out of the backfield, who's a good pass protector, something along those lines. That wouldn't totally shock me. Defensive tackle, you're always looking for depth there. Grover Stewart is slated to be a free agent after this season. Um, you know, safety, that's another interesting one uh, where you, you're looking at Roddy Thomas, Julian Blackman, and Nick Cross as kind of the three top guys on the roster right now. So I don't think that this is where – uh, you know, I know a lot of people expect the Colts to go corner wide receiver in, you know, on maybe day two, but I wouldn't necessarily pigeonhole them into that because, you know, last year you're looking at it, and it's like, well, tight end isn't a super significant need. You know, it was a need last year, and the Colts went ahead and took two tight ends last year in the draft. So you can, you can find different needs if you look beyond just the immediate ones, and that does open you up to saying, yeah, we, we need to take the best player available because – we might need that guy, if not this year. We might need him after this year. Um, and that that's a, a pretty st- uh, strong way to build out your roster. J.J., last thing from me. You mentioned earlier when you're looking at these mock drafts how it, it fascinates you when you see the ones where they don't go quarterback and you like to see the process that was made to not take a QB there. When you look at the state of the Colts roster from top to bottom and you look at these quarterback you know, in general prospects you could have, whether it's Will Levis or Anthony Richardson, what scenario would play out where that would make sense for you, where maybe they, they are not taking a quarterback at four based on the mocks you've seen and based on the prospects you yourself scouted? Yeah, I mean, it, it would have to be that they're, the, the Colts view any of those top four quarterbacks, um, you know, when their pick is, when, when they go on the clock, if they, they look at those guys and they say, you know, we have we have this guy graded a lot lower than the fourth overall pick. You know, is, uh, and and that's the only guy available. Or there are two guys who are graded below that, and you have a guy sticking out on your board who you have rated as you know the highest of high prospect. Because you know, Chris Pallard has always said like positional need is often a tiebreaker. I, I think it probably is a little bit more than that when it comes to quarterback just because every team that doesn't have that franchise quarterback is constantly looking for one. But there is, you know, it's not an implausible scenario that the Colts say, you know, we don't really like any of these quarterbacks on the board when we pick. And we really like this other guy. So let's take the other guy. And then we also like some of these quarterbacks who could maybe be available, you know, later in the first round on day two, on day three, and think they have enough upside that, okay, this is a decent plan. But again, the, the biggest thing there is if the Colts are sitting at four and say there are two quarterbacks available 
and the evaluation of those guys is that neither of them is really the right fit for us right now. If the Colts take that guy, that will that that could set this franchise back quite a bit because you know you reach for that guy and you didn't really believe in him, and then if he comes in and he is who you think he is, which would probably be a flawed prospect who you know maybe has some flaws that are are not necessarily correctable. Um, that that's that's how you wind up you know going through the, the carousel the young quarterback carousel almost as opposed to the veteran quarterback carousel. I mean, look at the New York Jets where they they drafted yeah. Sam Darnold third overall in two thousand was that two thousand eighteen, and then two years later took Zach Wilson second overall, and now they're trading for Aaron Rodgers. That is not the situation you want to be in when you have a roster that otherwise you you believe can be you know pretty solid. Um, you need to get the right quarterback. And again, it, if it means not taking a quarterback in the first round to get the right quarterback, that's what you do. Again, I, I still would, you know, if if you had to say right now, what are the Colts are going to do? I would still probably say they take a quarterback. But I'm not saying that for sure. I'm not saying that's a guarantee, kind of for what I was talking about earlier. JJ, appreciate the time. and look forward to uh, more coverage here over the next couple of weeks. All right. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Excellent insight there from J.J. Stankovitz of Colts.com, 